Do you ever feel anxious? I don't mean anxious like, you know, a big test is coming up or you have a job interview or you're getting married or buying a house or something like that. I mean deep, just discomfort, a sense of discontentment, edginess, uneasiness. You don't know why it's there. You don't know where it's coming from. Well, I might have an answer for you for that. Now, no one likes to feel anxiety, right? It's awful. But discomfort, like, like anxiety, it, you know, really, it doesn't cause itself. It's a symptom. It's a symptom of something. It's something telling you something is wrong. And if you silence it without having met and dealt with the cause of it, that whatever is wrong and making you feel anxious stays wrong. It doesn't go away. And it could cause you a great deal of harm. Eventually, we die from that. Sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, but the effects of anxiety on the body and the mind are not good. So we need a solution. Now, I'm not talking about medical solutions, right? I'm not a doctor. Doctors have no idea about this. If I were a doctor, I'd be talking about therapies and uh, medications and all the classic treatments. I don't diagnose, I don't prescribe. They never work anyway. I'm talking about metaphysical problems and solutions. That's the realm that counts here, and that's completely out of the clinical realm. I'm not a clinician. I deal with the spiritual angle. And anxiety is a spiritual issue, or metaphysical, if you like that word better. So how do you deal with it? How do you deal with anxiety? Well, can you manage spiritual discomfort? Well, classically, you do. You've done it. You've done it by drinking, by eating, sex, antidepressants, smoking. These are all ways of removing the symptoms while leaving the cause totally unaddressed. It's like pulling a wire off of a off the change oil light on the dashboard of your car. You know, the little the little idiot lights they call them. Or, the, or like, or like, uh, or like stopping the wear indicator sound on the brake pads of your car. You know, you shoot a little graphite or something in there to shut off the noise when they really have to be replaced. I'm not very, I'm not a good car mechanic, so I don't, e I don't even know if that'd work. It sounds right to me, though. You get the idea. Any, either way, the damage continues and the problem worsens, completely untreated, totally unabated, and you go on as if you've managed to deal with the problem. You go on distracting yourself with, with your driving and your travels. You just keep moving. You ever see people that just, they, I can't stand still, I can't stand still. That's what's going on. And it keeps the memory of your neglect out of your thoughts. You remain oblivious. Then one day you, you could go flying off a cliff, right? And your brakes fail. Or your engine seizes up. There's no oil pressure and the metal start to wear out and you throw a rod. It's the end of the car. You're in trouble maybe mortal danger, and you don't even know it. Even so, with anxiety, something in you knows it. It's called conscience, and that's where your anxiety comes from. Anxiety comes from your good side. It's not the enemy. It's trying to save you from your negligence. It's your idiot light. Now, you could, you could seek bliss, hypnotism, uh, yoga, narcotic meditation stuff, things that mes mesmerize you with bells and Mantras, positive thinking, affirmations, droning beautiful thoughts and prose in your head called prayer, improperly, over and over. All it does is just make you feel better than you're supposed to feel, better than you deserve to feel. You're supposed to feel anxiety when something's broken so that you're moved to have it fixed. Anxiety is calling you. It's trying to tell you something. It's trying to say you are wrong. It's trying to say that something inside you is broken. 
And if you have it fixed, you'll be fine. But if you cover it up, if you pull that wire, if you silence that warning, or you, you go to drinking or to medications or to religion or sex or money or food or people-pleasing, whatever you use, whatever you abuse, then you'll only feel better temporarily and the problems will continue and continue and they'll progress under the hood. You'll be getting worse, not better, just like your car. Finding the solution always comes down to this question. What are your motives? What are your motives for seeking it? Motives will dictate whether or not you pursue the short-term crap solutions or the one true solution, the one that lasts forever. The problem is, it's so easy to go to the wrong solutions and the classic advice you'll get supports all those bad ones, all those easy outs, the easier, softer way, right? You fall into self-centeredness because you, you want the symptoms of the problems to go away, but it's just too painful to pay the cost of a full repair job. You know, like the short-sighted guy who's a, he's apparently plain and happy driving his car into the ground, he just doesn't have to get it fixed, or he has to get it fixed, but he's not aware of it, so he doesn't know. That's dying. Ignorance is bliss? No. Bliss is ignorance. You don't want to devote your life to the search for ignorance. Cover-ups are living in ignorance, in oblivion. We don't want to cough up the price of the freedom. We don't want to ever admit that we've been wrong. The hardest thing for any human being to ever do is admit that he's been wrong. I'm not talking about just going to someone and saying you're sorry. That's too simple. I'm talking about admitting within. Deep repentance. True humility. Realizing that you're not God. It's a mysterious process, but very, very simple. Some people would rather go on with the medicating. They'll want to ignore the signals. They just want to keep on driving with the idiot light burning. And so the indulgences like drinking or drugging, it'll accomplish that. It does it for them, but they can't regulate the behavior. Anything that produces that, oh, it makes me feel so good, that's killing you. It's not the activity that's killing you. It's what's allowed to operate inside, under the radar, while you're getting your fix of, of ecstasy. That's what's killing you. Even mild approval. You can't even give Christmas gifts without sucking something out of the occasion. Then you use people. You're a user. I'm not trying to be a meanie here. But if we bathe in self-satisfaction, in euphoria, in the artificial happiness, we just keep on judging, resenting, getting angry. The ego is nourishing itself on our emotions, and it's growing. We become a self-centered, self-seeking egoist pretending to be something else. TM, working out, shopping. Some people can't even can't even hand out soup at the Salvation Army without getting a feeling out of it. There's something wrong with that. Can you see that? And then when those tricks become too socially disruptive, just go get some pills from a doctor. Pick up where the booze and the drugs or the behaviors left off. The promiscuity, gambling, all the same thing. Your escape from reality is legitimized by these things. You find people who do it too. You join a cigar club. <laughs> The mafia, it's a little extreme, but you get the idea. For a real solution, one that accompanies a decent, productive, emotionally happy life that's free from anxiety, free from fear, free from all those idiot lights flashing on all the time, free from anxiety, you need to get to the head mechanic. And you know who he is, right? He's God. That doesn't mean pray to him. It doesn't mean go to church. You can do those things, but 
That's not what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on spiritual retreats or divine counseling, life coaching. That's phony. It means reaching simple God consciousness. He's the master mechanic. He's the only one that can keep you running smoothly. There has to be a spiritual awakening experience. Meditation will do that, the right kind. But get to the mechanic. You have to, because there really is no future. And what future there is will just be more symptoms if you don't. You'll feel like crap all the way down. You just won't run right. You know, it's up to you. Like the Bible story, right? The, uh, the prodigal son. You have to go halfway. You have to head home. You have to head to dad. And once you make that decision, he'll come. He'll meet you halfway across the horizon. As soon as he sees you approaching, he'll come. Then you go back home. Home is here, right inside. But you have to make that choice. Leave the pigsty behind and head home to your father's palace. That's where he is. He's within. He's already there. He's provided the living conditions that you've been missing. And if you're too self-absorbed, too, self, too selfish, can't go home, can't face dad, then you're only going to want the symptoms silent so that you can stay away from his palace. And then you'll continue to drink. You'll continue to medicate those symptoms away until they get so overbearing, there's just no more relief. Well, except to die. And that's what most people do, sorry to say. Don't die. You don't have to. Not now, not soon, not ever. You can live long. You can live a long, righteous life, for real, no effort, automatically, free of the emotional baggage that might keep you down, keep you nervous, keep you full of fear, keep you anxious. If you are anxious, full of fear, suffering from depression and suffer from health issues because of your unhealthy food habits or drug obsessions, smoking, whatever it is, then I suggest an immediate spiritual awakening, a conscious contact with God, the master mechanic. Practice. Meditate. Non-contemplative meditation. Go to my website and get it. It's free. If you're unable to wake up, some people are too far down the rabbit hole, right? They, they just don't see reality. They're into an alternative reality. If you can't wake up, if you can't come out of your head, then there's really nothing else except the cover-ups, the alcohol, the prescription meds, the sex, the porn, the drugs, all the standard distractions. Just sit and be still. No expectations. Suffer the urge to run away from the anxiety. Someone is trying to save you. Do it. Even if it's only for a few seconds at first. You have to start somewhere. Or not. Okay. That was good. Yeah. So that was about anxiety. Yeah. That's, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the, the church and, and, and religious practices as one of the symptom cover-ups. Oh, yeah. Because most they, people would think that that's the solution. I know. I know. Well, they think that alcohol is the solution too, but they're just getting high. You go to church to get high. Right. You've been to churches where it's just, people are just high. They're high in music. They're high in choirs, <laughs> organ music, right? Pomp and circumstance. Or they're, they're annoyed that the choir is not moving them enough today. <laughs> what does, does that happen to? Yeah. When, I guess. Uh, certain churches without good music and, oh. you know. Well, the Mormon oh, tabernacle. Man, I wish the music was more soulful, more moving, more. Oh, well, there are churches that have a lot of that. They're, they're, they're church, like if you go to uh, a lot of churches just have like an organ, 
you know, Catholic churches, Catholic churches in Oregon, or something. And yeah. I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the Protestant churches also, a lot of the, you know, whatever denomination. But I know that um, some churches, you know, they they've got electric guitars going and drummers and tambourines. Yeah. I used to do. I used to visit a, a preacher down down the road here, um, from Australia, in a in a church, some evangelical church. I used to visit him, and he had. Uh, I never went to any of his services or anything, but I used to go in there and talk to him. And um, I noticed that in the church area where they do the services in there, you know, they have all the chairs set up and they have the podiums and everything for the for the for the ministers and all. But there's like tons of instruments, musical instruments, and I'm like, wow, they got they had a lot of great, all these huge Fender amplifiers and drum kits. They had a couple yeah. of drum drum kits and guitars and everything. Like, wow. So I so I figured they must really they're really into it. They're into the musical thing. But I I've I've never felt the need to um, associate music with my with my spirituality. Um, music. My use of music has always been. It's always been. I've never I've never really used music on in an unhealthy way. But right. it's I've certainly never needed music or used music to somehow find myself closer to God or or no music doesn't take you closer to God music takes you away from God it does it doesn't right. have to I mean there, there are legitimate uses for music believe it or not um, especially music with I mean this please I don't think curing spiritual maladies is one of them <laughs> no <laughs> no it's not because what it does is it makes you feel it's like yoga you know you go and you stretch and you put yourselves into these strange positions that are painful and then you stretch them out and then you don't feel the pain anymore. You're forcing all these endorphins and things through your body. It's just, it's just like a runner's high, right? They do that too. Yeah. People run, they get into, they get addicted to running. You get addicted to yoga, just like, because it's producing drugs in your head. Right. Morphine, basically. And, uh, and other things too, and dopamine, because you get a lot of approval from your yoga instructor or whatever. But um, no, it doesn't, do, it, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. So music does a uh, music is like a drug. Music, uh, anything can be a drug. Anything that you abuse, anything that takes you out of yourself, anything that brings you into thoughts, into your thinking process, into your imagination, takes you away from the real world, brings you into your head and attached to your intellect, and that's where every, that's where all the negative emotions get spun out of out of your intellect. Right. Okay. The anger irritation, annoyance, that all comes out of, out of the intellect. And when you're lost in your thoughts, you're not awake, you're not aware, you're not conscious, that's when you become vulnerable. I, I find that if I, if I ever start to do something right. that, I, that I really have no need to be doing, like right. if I decide, oh, I'm going to listen to some music or something, or, or, I get, or I start reading a little bit too much, right. or anything like that, I... I usually realize, oh wait, I say, why am I, why am I doing this so much? Why am I, why do I, why am I compelled to do this all of a sudden? And it's usually because you, you automatically gravitate toward covering up your anger. That's correct. You know, covering up the symptoms. Not even just the, not, well, it's, yeah, you could be covering up anger, but more than likely what you're covering up is the, the guilt for the anger. That's where you're. That's the anxiety. Because once you once you're angry, you judge. That's something. It's not you judging. It's your ego judging, right? Because it wants to be God. It is judging. But you're once you're lost in your thoughts, you identify with it, 
I use the expression, you can't tell what it begins and you end or it ends and you begin. You, you become unified with it and you think it's you. And that's why you escape. You escape the guilt of it mm -hmm. because you can't help but feel guilty. It's automatic once you play God. Playing God is a painful experience for every human being. And playing God is simply just judging others. So you bring up, so you bring up the ego, right? The it, you know what you call it, yeah. Um, and those, those temporary solutions also make you feel. It it leaves you unaware. It leaves you open to, to that thing growing bigger and taking over, right? It, it yeah. Well, it nourishes right on that. It be, it puffs up. It's that's that's what pride is. That's pride, right? You can put a capital P on it if you want. But that's what pride is. And when you become prideful, you're full of self. That's selfishness, self-centeredness, self-seeking. And you just become a big narcissistic bull in a china shop, all about yourself. And that's why people get addicted to going to church. Because a lot of people, you know, churchgoers, if they don't go to church, they feel bad. They feel, <laughs> they feel bad. They think that God's not there anymore. The God's not in their life anymore. They didn't go get their dose of God. But all they did was go there and get their dose of, they just went there to get their dopamine adjusted yeah, and their serotonin the guilt, levels adjusted. They think the guilt they feel is from not going to church. It's not, not from going to church. But they, they didn't go to church that's and that the didn't guilt, cover the guilt. Right. That's the right. guilt that was there to begin with. Yep. That was there to begin with. They could have gone to church and had the guilt covered up. But then you come away from church and then it's... Monday and it's Tuesday and it's Wednesday and yep. pretty soon the guilt is coming back. It's probably back by Monday or it's probably back Sunday. Ooh, I got to go to church again. I got to go to church again. Well, it's the same thing with a psychiatrist's office. It's the same thing with it's same thing with AA meetings. People abuse twelve step meetings. Mm -hmm. They get their they get their jollies. They're, they're sucking off of the other people in those rooms. They're not there to find God. Yeah. If they were there to find God, well, they wouldn't have to go there if they had God. But if they if they're there to find God, they're not going to find them there. They're going to find them find God within. And the most prevalent solution that I am with which I'm familiar, because I'm in college, right. is of course drinking. So I thought you weren't drinking. I'm familiar with oh, okay. people drinking. Okay, no, I don't. I, I don't drink, but um, but my friends do, and I don't mind, of course. But right. but I do notice that uh, most of the time, a lot of plans fall through plans aren't made, people are ignored all the time as a result of the desire to drink. You know, oh, hey, yeah. you know, you were going to, you were supposed to text me. We were supposed to do this. We were supposed to work on this. Right. You know, we, we, I thought we were going to get dinner. So, oh, well, you know, I had to get ready because, you know, we're going out drinking tonight. Right. Oh, you, you didn't let me know. You, you, you just changed. They're developing <laughs> an know? obsession with, with drinking. Right. Right. And that's one of the, I don't know the exact definition of obsession off, off the top of my head, but it has to do with doing something to the exclusion of all else. And that means you, you're excluded. Being on time, right. that's excluded. Yeah. You know? Hey, where, where were you uh, this morning? Oh, you know, I, I had such a hangover. I stayed out <laughs> till, till 4 a.m. last night. Well, you knew you had plans tomorrow, yeah, right? You were supposed to meet me. You know, and that's, I know, and I noticed that more with people who, the more the person drinks, right. the more a person does that, the more selfish they become of really. course and i have friends who drink that are that are better of course but i'm not i'm not condoning their their drinking but but i but i do notice that trend among a right. lot of people you know what else will do that what if you're, to you're talking about male friends 
but what else what else will affect them just like the alcohol exactly the same guess guess what i'm going to say what girls yeah women sex a girl that'll give give them sex even right. though they're not married well that goes hand in hand with the drinking uh usually yeah 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 it does it so. does yeah in college anyway uh, not just college. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, don't forget, I worked on Wall Street for 17 years. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so anything else? Yes, there is something else. What's that? Um, one other thing, um, we were talking about anxiety, and I didn't think of it when I, as I was speaking about it, but I thought, actually, I thought of it when I was speaking about it, but it was too late, I was already talking. Um, but I think we should, I, I think I'm going to do another one about anxiety, but anxiety about the holidays. Okay. You know, people um, people get very anxious around the holidays, and there's a reason for that. It's not the same kind of anxiousness. It's a little bit different than just the regular anxiety that people have all year round. Mm -hmm. Gets a little heavier and a little bit more, <clears throat> gets a little bit more intense. Right. And there's a reason for that. There's a metaphysical reason for that. And I'm going to do a, uh, I think I'm going to do a video, maybe the next one. I don't know if we're, maybe I'll wait till between Thanksgiving and Christmas. During the holidays, because that's when people get very anxious yes. and depressed. And I'm talking about that. Yes, a, a, a Hanukkah holiday. Hanukkah. Video. When's Hanukkah? The 12th? Yeah. December 12th. Yeah. So that's coming up. We'll do, we'll do that around Hanukkah, even though we're not Jewish. <laughs> I, I, would, I would guess it has something to do with the fact that people know how they should feel during the holidays, and they don't, so they get upset about it. Mm. No. That's not exactly it. All right. That does happen, though. No, I know what you're talking about. That's that's the effect. People no, get, no, no. People get very upset when they don't feel okay. jolly and, you're and, right. and cozy yeah, during but Christmas. But that's, that's because the solution fails them. The solution that they're seeking fails them. They're looking for conviviality. They're looking for camaraderie and friendship. And right. They're looking to get high on the yes. holiday season, the spirit of Christmas. Okay. But there's something behind that that comes before that that creates the need for that. And that's what I'm going to talk about. It's a little bit different during the holidays. It's very the holiday different during the holiday season. <laughs> um, okay. Anything okay. else? Um, no, that's it for now. All right. Okay. Um, your book comes out December first. I wanted to mention that. Okay. Um, and we're actually sending out a very special email uh, sign up tonight. That is uh, a, a very special email to those who have signed up. That is going to include the introduction to your book. So those people who have signed up are going to get to see that. Oh, okay. Um, almost two weeks early. Okay. Tonight, um, and we send stuff like that all the time. I haven't uh, read so it in three years. Is it any good? <laughs> yes, it's good. Oh, okay. Um, and we send stuff like that all the time to to our uh, email subscribers. If you want to subscribe, you can go to schwarzhoffmedia.com, and at the bottom of the page, there's a there's an email right. uh, sign up box. Um, we're very excited for the book coming. Yes, very excited. And very excited if you'd sign up for the email because it's very good if I do say so myself. Yes. Okay. Right. So thanks for listening. That's the podcast for today. And we'll see you soon.